the U.S. declassifies data on the Russian hack. Will these revelations help network defenders mitigate future Russian attacks? And what are the cybersecurity challenges facing the financial services sector in the new year? These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report analyzing the sanctions brought by the Obama administration against the Russians for hacking Democratic Party computers in an attempt to sway the U.S. presidential election. The sanctions include expelling 35 Russian operatives and the identification of two hacking groups the U.S. contends conducted the cyber attacks. But will the sanctions work? Eurasia Group Chairman Cliff Kupchan, speaking with CBS News, says they won't. Russian attempts to undermine Western democracies are going to be a problem with us for a very long time. He's found this hybrid warfare. It involves false information. It involves hacking. And he's doing really well with it. He's winning. Uh, I don't think he's going to stop. The think tank Rand Corporation's expert on Russian and Chinese cyber activities is Martin Lubicki. And he says another reason the sanctions might not work is that many of the 35 individuals expelled likely were not involved in the hacking. The U.S. had other reasons to eject them from the country. If you're going to punish somebody for doing something, it has to be fairly clear that that's what they're being punished for, right? The Russians could easily tell themselves the Americans didn't want those particular individuals there for other reasons, and they're just using the the hack as an excuse. And I don't have to honor this excuse. In imposing the sanctions, the U.S. government also declassified technical data that showed how the Russians breached Democratic Party and other computers. By sharing that technical information, the administration hopes network defenders in and out of government will use this information to identify and block Russian malware, forcing the Russians' intelligence services to re-engineer their malware. But the document labeled Grizzly Step doesn't reveal much new. Lubicki describes the findings in Grizzly Step as standard security practices. These are not particularly sophisticated attacks. But bear in mind, you always want to go from simpler to harder. We didn't see the Russians burn any zero days because they didn't have to. You know, they got John Podesta on a pretty routine phishing thing. Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, whose hacked emails proved embarrassing to the candidate. And the techniques they used to get into the DNC were well known among within the APT community. This gives us an obvious notion of what they would go after. So it's more not that, oh my God, these guys are so smart, but oh my God, these guys are ready, willing, and able to go after this. Though the hacking methods described in the government's joint assessment report don't show much new, to many in the security community, the evidence seems quite convincing that the Kremlin was behind the DNC attacks. Again, the biggie. Two years ago when we had the Sony incident, there were a lot of people who were skeptical of U.S. attribution, even though that was pretty good attribution. I'm not hearing any of the skepticism these days. Nations, including the United States, hack one another to gather intelligence. But did the Russians cross a line? The Obama administration thinks so. It's unclear what the incoming Trump administration thinks. It's one thing to use pilfered intelligence to better understand your adversary. It's something else when you take that intelligence and arrange for its public release to the detriment of one candidate over another in a foreign election. International norms exist regarding cybersecurity. Intelligence gathering is permissible. Stealing intellectual property isn't. It may be years off, if ever, whether the international community will establish a norm to deem as unacceptable public disclosure of intelligence regarding candidates in foreign elections. It's the first week of the new year, and the challenges facing the financial services industry will only intensify in the coming 12 months. To discuss these challenges, I'm joined by my ISMG colleague and Bank Info Security Editor, Tracy Kitten. Happy New Year, Tracy. Happy New Year, Eric. 
What are the big security and fraud challenges financial institutions face in 2017? Business email compromise is going to be a growing concern in 2017. Of course, these are the attacks that don't necessarily impact financial institutions directly, but they do impact financial institutions' customers. These are the new wave of account takeover, and these are becoming very stealthy, and there's a lot of money that's being lost to these attacks. In August of 2015, the FBI estimated that about $1 billion had been lost worldwide. And then in April of 2016, the FBI reported that at least $2.3 billion had been lost. Most experts will tell you that those estimates are low, and I suspect in, in 2017, the losses will be even greater. Ransomware will likely challenge the staffs in many industries, healthcare specifically, but financial services as well. You know, Eric, we talk about ransomware attacks all the time. They're impacting industries across the board. From the financial institution perspective, though, it may not be something that's impacting a banking institution directly, but it is impacting a banking institution's customers. And so the question is, how much responsibility or, I guess, concern should banking institutions have about ransomware attacks that their customers should fall victim to? I think this will be a question that a lot of institutions are asking themselves in the new year. You're talking about the bank's commercial customers? What I've been hearing from banking institutions is that when their commercial customers are being hit with ransomware attacks, they're calling their banks. So even though it's not a bank issue, they're looking to their banking institution for advice. Is that because banks are, are known for their security abilities? Right. Well, I think anytime there's been some kind of attack against a commercial customer, uh, you know, we've tried to train customers so well to let them know if you see a suspicious email, don't click on the link because your bank account could be taken over. If you receive an email for a wire that sounds suspicious, you know, contact the banking institution or ensure that you're contacting multiple people within your organization to ensure or verify the authenticity of that. So I think when a ransomware attack, if a customer is compromised, I think the natural thing to do would be to contact the bank. Last week, the Obama administration posed sanctions against the Russians for hacking computers of the U.S. Democratic Party in an attempt to influence the presidential election. Will nation-state hacks be a growing concern within the financial sector, too, in 2017? Yes, I think this will be a growing worry in 2017 banking institutions have a lot of intellectual property. They have a lot of information. If you think about some of the attacks that have been waged for cyber espionage that have been linked to China, a lot of that is basically just trying to get information about trading deals and corporate acquisitions. And banking institutions have a lot of that information. It looks like you'll have a busy year, Tracy. As always, Eric, but it's good. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Cyber espionage groups use the same technologies and techniques as traditional financially motivated attackers. As ISMG's Maroon Harren reports, the end targets are usually found among defense contractors, governments, and other organizations of geopolitical or strategic value. Unlike just a few years ago, cyber espionage attacks rarely target these organizations directly. That's because of the high level of security and scrutiny that is now in place in these organizations. Rob Vander Ender is the Vice President for the APAC region at FireEye's Incident Response and Remediation Services provider, Mandian. What we have observed, the channel used to actually get to the end targets but accessing those because of the security measures they have put in place, it's actually far more easier to the indirect channel as we call it. So think about the trusted supplier relationships that those organizations or those governments have with many organizations. Vendors of particular componentry when it comes down to manufacturers, when it comes down to maybe IT service providers who have very close and trusted relationship and direct access to the end organizations 
Operations Network. Another channel which is very important is media. This has become far more prolific in the past year. Attackers go after the weakest link to get to the organization and the trusted supplier and third-party relationships are some of the channels being commonly exploited. And some of these routes come as a surprise both to the target organizations as well as the market in general. Cyber espionage is usually perpetrated by nation-state actors and is aimed at targets of strategic value, government and research and development organizations. While business-to-business -business espionage also takes place, as evidenced by Mandiant's investigations, even this is predominantly driven by nation-states. Here again is Rob van der Ende. The level of cyber espionage that is currently happening is still predominantly done by nation-states. Even tax into commercial organizations such as defense system manufacturers that are, of course, assisting a specific government to make really, really interesting advances and really skip a lot of that R&D investment and time in order to achieve the same kinds of outcome as other organizations or countries have. FireEye recently published a report from its EyeSight Intelligence Group about China's use of cyber espionage. The report identified 13 suspected China-based groups that have compromised corporate networks in the United States, Europe, and Japan. These Chinese hackers also targeted government, military, and commercial organizations in countries surrounding China. As the iSight report notes, cyber espionage sponsored by China seems to be ebbing this past year following action taken by the United States government and diplomatic dialogue. Still, as Van der Ende points out, it's not just China the world should be worried about. He says more than 50 nation states have offensive cyber capabilities now. That's the ISMG security report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.